Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up first... We're expecting around 6 to 8 meter waves and even up to 10 meters. Vanuatu braces for its second cyclone in as many days. Also... Very few airstrips, no roads, so it's a difficult area to go to in order for policing. Kidnapping and gun violence is on the rise in Papua New Guinea. And later on... I feel like what we've done over those those previous years, as much as you don't look to the past, we, we prepare well every week in respect to the opposition every week. We take a brief look at what's in store for the NRL 2023 season. Vanuatu is this week truly living up to its label as one of the most disaster-prone countries on the planet. Just 24 hours after being battered by tropical cyclone Judy, a Category 4 system at its peak, the country is bracing for yet another system, tropical cyclone Kevin. An intensifying Category 2 storm at the time this program was recorded, which is formed to the northeast of the country. Lydia Lewis reports. Right behind Judy is Kevin. That's two cyclones in two days, lashing the island nation. Fiji Met Service tropical cyclone forecaster Stephen Mecke says Kevin is forecast to intensify to a Category 2. He says damaging gale force winds are expected to be felt from tonight. It could even go further to a Category 3. For now, we are maintaining it as a, as a Category 2. We expect a lot of rain, severe flooding or flood-prone areas. We are expecting around 6 to 8 metre waves and even up to 10 metres. Pentecost, Santo and Malakula have been issued warnings in anticipation of Kevin. Vanuatu's southern islands of Tana and Eromango remain completely cut off. On the main island... Well, well I mean, there's, there's a lot of damage on Efari as well. Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakal says police and the National Disaster Management Committee have been desperately trying to get connectivity up and running. Power's been off for hours in parts as crews work at breakneck speed to get the grid back in shape. They've been down and they've been problematic the whole day yesterday and even to parts of this morning. The management committee's been meeting full on since yesterday and the police are involved in clearing and making sure that the lines are up and the water supply is back to the houses, but I'll try my best to communicate with the Romango, but it's impossible at the moment. On a positive note, Prime Minister Kalsakal says a medic vessel arrived at Eromango ahead of the storm. There's a surgeon in there with they visiting the islands and they've got uh, people there ready to, to deal with emergency issues. I called all of the businesses with public phone numbers on the southern islands, more than 20 of them. All of the lines were eerily silent. I got through to Greg Watt, a Kiwi who is the manager of Vanuatu Traveller and Tana Adventures. He is currently in Aotearoa and has been working with communities in Tana for the last 15 years with his wife. They've heard nothing from the people and communities they love. Today is going to be the worst day for them. While he waits, he is having flashbacks of Cyclone Pam, which tore up Tana in 2015. When I got there, there was 90% of all the homes were wiped out. 90% of all their crops and food were wiped out. A population on the whole island being close to starvation. And they were essentially scraping out the rotting vegetation out of the ground to feed. I fear that the, uh, a similar situation will arise. 
Mr Watt hopes lessons were learnt from Pam and the families he holds dear to his heart in the Southern Islands make it through the wrath of Kevin. For the latest news on Cyclone Kevin, head to our RNZ Pacific website at rnzi.com. For the latest cyclone warning information, head on over to the Vanuatu Met Service website, vmgd.gov.vu. Still on the cyclones, I asked Angus Hines from the New Zealand Met Service, Te Ratonga Tirorangi, what the chances are of getting two cyclones forming so close to each other, and whether this was the phenomenon called a twin cyclone. While we do have uh, two tropical cyclones in the southwest Pacific Basin at the moment, I don't think it's quite what we'd call a twin cyclone. Uh, twin cyclones are when you get uh, mirrored storms on either side of the equator. So you have one in the south, one in the northern hemisphere, and they sort of match each other, but they spin in opposite directions. What we see here is two tropical cyclones, both in the southern hemisphere, that have formed near each other, and they've formed in quick succession. Now, um, the the conditions for a cyclone to form, how how does that factor into this? Yeah, that's a great question. So cyclones, tropical cyclones, they're not especially common weather systems. There's a lot of things that have to align for a tropical cyclone to form. Uh, That's things like temperature, that's things like the wind flow at different levels of the atmosphere, not just down at surface level, and things like the stability of the atmosphere. Now, when all of those things do line up, it means there's an increased likelihood of tropical cyclone formation. That's what we saw with Judy a few days ago. But all of those weather uh, factors, sometimes they don't just disappear quickly. They stay in alignment for a little while and that means that the atmosphere is primed to form another tropical cyclone, which is actually what we've seen now with Kevin just being named earlier today. The Has this happened before in terms of multiple cyclones existing in the southwest Pacific? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's, it's not super common, but uh, one of my colleagues just ran back through the last several tropical cyclone seasons to check uh, how regularly it does happen where you'll have more than one tropical cyclone in the area at the same time. And it's actually happened several times over the last decade or so. If we look back at the 2022 season in January, we had tropical cyclone Tiffany and Cody both at the same time. Going back the year before that, we even had three cyclones in the Southwest Pacific at the same time in the year 2021 in January. Prior to that, it had been a few years, but every couple of years, it seems like there will be this enhanced period where a couple of cyclones can persist at the same time. Events such as last month's kidnapping in Papua New Guinea of a New Zealand-born academic and several local colleagues by armed bandits in the Bosavi area between Southern Highlands and Hela are becoming more common. On this occasion, the group was released after a week and there have been revelations that a ransom was paid to ensure their freedom. Our correspondent in Papua New Guinea, Scott Mwaide, told Don Wiseman that kidnappers in what is a very remote area are becoming increasingly brazen. A a few months ago, there was an incident uh, around the same area where uh, company workers were kidnapped and then released. Now, the trend has been that They've become more brazen, more bold, and willing to ask for ransom, large amounts of money. I'm not too sure whether their previous demands were met. It could have been met in some respects. But uh, the the trend is that 
you have a lot of people who are armed with automatic weapons uh, brought in from various sources. They are, a few of them, as I understand, are on hire. Basically, mercenaries on offer to clans that are warring. It's not just in one location, it's several locations. Now, when, so to speak, business dips, this is where they end up. This is where they go to uh, find their money and try to cause problems. So they operate in very remote locations. Now, Bosavi is one such area. It's on the border of Western Province and the Hela Province, uh, and it's on the Hela side. It was one of those areas severely affected by uh, the 2018 earthquake. So there's very few airstrips, no roads. So it's a difficult area to go to in order for policing. Presumably, also difficult country to commit crimes in normally. Yes. From that location, they have access to logging camps. They have access to mission stations that are there. And there's uh, in, in the logging camps, there are large numbers of uh, foreign workers. Petroleum camps, there are large numbers of foreign workers. So it's, it's uh, I guess, for them, it's like a gold mine for them. Go in there, try to kidnap people, workers, disrupt operations of business and then demand ransom. So it's it's been like that. that that's that been the trend, increasing trend. Well, we've talked a lot about just what this country can do and has tried to do to rein in the guns. Nothing's happened. Is anything likely to happen, do you think? I'm not too sure. Um, there, there's obviously uh, some political will, I guess, with the, with the passing of legislation uh, against owners of illegal weapons. That's like a, a step in the right direction, but actually policing it is really difficult. Uh, those people who hold the guns don't stay out in the open. Like as in this case, they are in the Bosavi area, which is really, really difficult to get to. Those who are in communities, urban communities, have the protection of the community. So they, they exist uh, in plain sight, but it's quite difficult difficult for police to go in and say, hey, we're looking for this guy. Can you tell us where he is? There's that element of fear that prevents people from speaking out also. And in terms of small arms, you know, like pistols and stuff, you, you've got people who are who carry weapons, a lot of them illegal and, and a lot of them licensed, but you can't really tell which one is licensed unless you ask them or when you arrest them. So that's been the uh, situation with police. And the main situation, though, has to be just a lack of numbers, police. Yes. And this is clearly not new to PNG, but there's a has to be a recognition of, of a lot more police or or people to undertake this sort of work. Yes, and and the other thing is a, a, a clear database showing actually tracking how many weapons we have, what's gone from. Uh, police and defence force armories into the hands of uh, civilians, criminals, that data, we, we really don't have it. For the first time since the start of the pandemic, the Pacific region is forecast to see a return to economic growth this year and into the future. This is according to the World Bank's Pacific Economic Update report released this week for 11 countries in the region. It details policy measures Pacific Island governments should consider to accelerate their recovery, build sustainable investment, increase public sector efficiency and enhance climate adaptation. I spoke with the World Bank's lead economist and program leader for East Asia and the Pacific, David Gold, about some of their main findings. What uh, this report attempts to do is first give you uh, an overview of the economic trends, 
what are the global contexts that um, the Pacific Islands face and find themselves in in these days. And then it goes into a special topic, a, a deep dive on uh, debt issues and fiscal issues in the Pacific. Now, we most of the most of the the general economic outlook and and standpoint our listeners are familiar with so i'm really interested in that that deep dive what is it that you found that we haven't heard about or talked about or seen in this space before well um i think one of the interesting things uh that come out of this is that a lot of people know that the pacific is at high risk of of debt distress maybe not uh but at least in the circles that I run in, there is a sense that, that there's a high risk of debt distress in the Pacific. And uh, they associate that with high debt to GDP levels, uh, which isn't necessarily the case. What is the case is that uh, there's very low debt carrying capacity for many of these countries. And what does that, what does that mean, debt carrying capacity? It's the ability to uh, basically pay back debt. So if your revenues are volatile, uh, and certainly they are in the Pacific, because in the Pacific, countries are subject to all sorts of external shocks, whether it's natural disasters or even economic shocks that run through uh, imports, as we're seeing these days with the uh, Ukraine war and the impact that it's having on, on prices and imported prices of petrol in the region, uh, that's something that's going to affect the debt carrying capacity. Also... Uh, which affects debt carrying capacity, is the institutions that can manage the debt and whether or not they um, you know, have enough people working behind the counters and the like uh, to be able to, to, to serve as debt. Then there's the fiscal revenues that countries can rely on, and that's often dependent on what type of industries they're in. So countries that are primarily reliant on tourism, or you know, fishing or depend upon external grants, oftentimes these resources or these sources of income are volatile. So uh, those volatility measures that, uh, whether it's on uh, external shocks, income, uh, grant availability, all diminish the you know, ability to regularly service high debt. So you can have a country with uh, like Tuvalu with a very low debt carrying capacity, uh, maybe just under 10% debt to GDP ratio being considered um, high risk of debt distress. So uh, having high debt uh, could be associated with you know, uh, low risk of debt distress, uh, as well as low debt being associated with low risk, uh, 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 high risk of debt distress. Um, you know, it, it's like you know, two individuals uh, one might have a, a steady source of income because it works for a large firm uh, and uh, makes you know a million dollars a year and is able to easily you know take a loan out for ten thousand dollars to buy a, a modest car and then you have somebody that um, would like to take the same out same loan out ten thousand dollars but you know is only making uh, twenty thousand dollars a year and uh, the twenty thousand dollars a year is being made in this um, you know, selling goods in the marketplace, uh, which uh, may be subject to a lot of volatility of whether customers come, uh, whether or not it's rainy out. If it's rainy, then customers don't come. So that's kind of the situation that the Pacific Islands face in terms of, of debt sustainability 
and uh, debt risk. It's not necessarily the size of the debt. In terms of turning to the advice sort of coming out of this report for Pacific countries, um, uh, other than the obviously the ones you've already included in your previous answer, what, what are some of the other um, pieces of advice that um, you're giving to Pacific countries off the back of this report? You know, I think that's the bottom line of the report is what can countries do given, you know, high levels of de- debt distress, um, risk of debt distress, and what can um, we as the World Bank support them in, in pursuing? Our main findings are that, first of all, you know, unwind the support that was given during COVID, obviously do it in a way that's responsible and manageable, not too quickly. Uh, they are, all the, the countries in the Pacific this year are expected to grow, uh, which is something I should have mentioned earlier, but they're all expected to grow and re- begin recovery. But unwinding these uh, support measures that were in place during COVID lockdowns. Uh, secondly, spend the current envelope that you have more efficiently. So, um, targeting uh, particular groups of individuals with support rather than general support for the entire economy can be very helpful. Rather than subsidizing uh, fuel or energy or water, uh, which tend to not be um, uh, targeted to the poor segments of society, uh, give cash transfers to those that need it. That has two benefits. Number one, you're helping the poor directly. And number two, you're not distorting prices. So you uh, you, you uh, give the incentive to the price signaling mechanism to consume more of those things that are less expensive and consume less of those things that are high, high more, uh, more expensive. Um, consume less of the more expensive and uh, more of the lower expensive goods. So those are the, the key areas that uh, we recommend. And briefly in sports, it's that time of year again. The Australian NRL kicks off with 17 teams, including newcomers the Dolphins. Christina Persico previews season 2023. Rugby league is a favourite among sports fans in the Pacific region, and this was only heightened during Tour Samoa's run to the World Cup final late last year. Samoa's international stars have dispersed to their respective clubs, including Junior Paulo to the Eels, Chanel Harris-Tavita to the Warriors, and Jerome Luai and Stephen Crichton at the two-time defending champions, the Panthers. Penrith are in action on Friday night against the Broncos, and Crichton is down to start at centre, Brian To'o on the wing, and Luai at 5-8. The Panthers could become the first team since 1983 to win three titles in a row, and co-captain Isaiah Yo told NRL.com there will be pressure to do so. Obviously, yeah, that's going to be surrounding us, I'd imagine, for the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, obviously looking forward to the challenge. The pressure was probably on the back of the 2020 grand final with loss and then being back there the 2021. So, um, look, I feel like we understand what it, what it takes to, to play well and play consistently throughout the season and give ourselves a chance at the back end of the year. But, um, yeah, like I just touched on then, it, it all start, starts round one. And I feel like what we've done over those those previous years, as much as you don't look to the past, is we, we prepare well every week and we respect the opposition every week. So, um, I'd like to think that doesn't change this year and um, it certainly certainly hasn't changed or hasn't looked like changing this week. Kicking off round one tonight are last year's finalists, the Eels, taking on the Melbourne Storm. 
Parramatta's Regan Campbell-Gillard says his focus shifted quickly after last year's final loss due to Australia's World Cup campaign. Probably because we went, went straight into camp straight away, so um, yeah, didn't really really think about the grand final to be honest. So uh, yeah, kind of switched my focus to um, yeah the World Cup and yeah, just haven't really really thought about it to be honest. So uh, another year, another year for us, and uh, yeah, another good another good squad uh, with us this year. So um, yeah, we've got to make sure we're doing everything right to um, yeah go that one step further. The other round one matchups are as follows: the Warriors and the Knights, the Sea Eagles and the Bulldogs, the Cowboys and the Raiders, the Sharks and the Rabbitohs, Dolphins and Roosters, and the West Tigers taking on the Titans. As for the favourites to make the top eight at the end of the year, Sportsbet predictably has the Panthers, the Storm, and the Roosters on the list. But rugby league can always throw up surprises, and there will be a lot of fans hoping that this is their year. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me next time on.